Good morning. It's good to have you here today. If you are in Kidmo, you guys can head on out. We're glad you chose to be with us. I'm sure when you woke up this morning, you thought, what has happened? It's, the weather is, has lost its mind. Um, boy, we've had a beautiful couple of days, and then this morning you walk out and it's frigid. Uh, so uh, we're glad you chose to be with us today. Today is going to be our last day. We're going to be talking about Be the Body for now. We're going to come back to it. We've been through this now for eight weeks, and that's a long time for us to stay on one topic here, although we've kind of been around the horn as far as all the different things we've discussed. And uh, just a couple of things to kind of wrap up before we get into what we want to do this morning is that we've talked through the role of the body, how the body is gifted and how we are different from each other, how our differences at, at face value can actually cause tension and can cause conflict because we don't always understand why someone's different from us. However, God being a creative God is one who has created us with all different personalities, all different looks, all different races, all different uh, ways of going through life, and all different spiritual gifts so that we would not all be the same, but it is our uniqueness that comes together that not only identifies a creative God, but allows us to work together cohesively so that we can more readily meet all the needs of people that we come in contact with. So someone with a gift of mercy versus someone who has a gift of teaching versus someone who has the gift of prophecy are going to be very different people and are going to have different perspectives, different ways of seeing things. And we, we live in a culture that really wants us to be, you know, one thing or one of two things or you know we've got to fit in some pattern whereas God often breaks those patterns and so we've seen how God has worked through that last week we talked about communion and our central message or we didn't talk about communion we experienced communion and the central message is the gospel of everything that the body in the church does it is the fact that we are a people in need of rescue It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can even know we need rescue. And then it is a gift of grace of God and love in which we are saved because of Jesus Christ. And so everything we do must sprout from that. And what often happens, I've found in the church, is that we, we tend to move outside of the gospel and we tend to move into things that begin to talk about what is organizational health, what is good leadership skill? You know, what are the ways that you need to grow the church? And all those things in their right place can be good. But what ends up happening when we lose sight of the central message is we lose sight of where our power comes from. And that is the miraculous working of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. So our hope is, is that as we continue to, to move together as a church that we will continue to trust Him and rely on His movement within our lives because that is what matters. Not our ability to put on a good worship service, not our ability to to do all the uh, perfect ways of doing church and organization, but instead we are weak people in need of a rescue and we are empowered by an Almighty God. And so I hope that you are experiencing that in your own life. As a church, I'm very excited about where we are. I'm excited about where we're headed, the number of people that are involved in serving and are involved in leading. We have some of the most fabulous leaders that I have ever seen willing to give of themselves for others that are sacrificing regularly to make sure that children are being taken care of, our students are being taken care of, that we have an opportunity to disciple adults and we continue to reach out, that worship is something that 
I mean, we started this morning with Crowder's Lift Your Head Weary Center, and we ended up with Jesus Paid It All. I mean, good, there, if you can't find something in between that mix, I just really appreciate all that they're putting into that. So I'm excited about where we're headed. But today what I want to talk to you about is a little bit of a more experiential bend to what we did last week. Because as our central message is focused on the gospel, our central activity as a church does not need to be meeting together for worship services. Yet our central activity of the church still needs to be worship. So what I want to talk to you today is what does it look like for the body to worship? Now, we're not going to talk about style of music. We're not going to talk about what are some of the elements that you're supposed to do, although we're going to walk through some things that I think are very meaningful in worship. But I want you, I hope when you leave today, to leave not believing that worship is about what we are supposed to get or what we're supposed to experience. I I hope that you don't leave thinking, well, this is dogmatically what we're supposed to do because God says this is what you have to do to worship me. But instead, we will leave today with an understanding that worship is not a Sunday morning activity. But worship is a way of life. And in that way of life, it changes the way we see the world and it changes the way we engage the world. If we don't get worship, we're not going to get anything else. Because at the central core of worship is the belief, the undying belief, that there is only one thing in this world that is of supreme value. And that is Jesus. So as we go through this together, I'm going to be going through a few different passages of Scripture. We're going to be focusing on John chapter 4. But I want to start with 1 Peter 1, and apparently version is not showing again. Maybe it'll pop up here in a little bit, um, but you can follow along on the screen. I want to go through some basic questions, and we're also we're going to take some time to stop and explore what it means to really worship together. So I want you to stay with me. I want you to stay awake. I know you just ate, and you ate a bunch of sugar, which means you were really excited for the music, and you're about to go to sleep. So I want you to nudge your neighbor. If you need to, my mom and dad are here. We're really excited. My dad's head, when it starts bobbing, just know he's starting to go to sleep over here. Y'all need to throw something at him. Do it. But, you know, make sure it's soft. Uh, we don't something small and soft or another something to eat, right? That'll be fine, too. All right. All right. One last thing I want, do want to say, I don't want to forget to say today, and I don't want us to celebrate together, is uh, Jack and Cindy Elias had their 49th wedding anniversary this weekend. <laughs> So congratulations to them. You only look like you're about 50, so you all must have been, got, you must have gotten married really young. Your parents just kind of put you together, right? They've been, how long have you been dating? Since when? Since freshman year in high school? All right, and then it's all history. And then it's all just glorious, isn't it? Of course, absolutely it is, right, right, okay. Well, congratulations to them, and what a, what a great model for the rest of us as well. All right, so I want to start with a basic question, and that is, why is worship important? Why is worship important? It's something that we do. In fact, if you look at any church's budget, if you look at the amount of time and effort that goes into any one activity for any church uh, around the country, you're going to find that it revolves around the worship service. Uh, what I'm going to tell you in a minute is, 
that can mean absolutely nothing in the life of a person. And it can mean absolutely everything too. So why is worship important? As we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, which is one of my favorite passages that talks about the glory of God, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our worship is always rooted out of the central message of the body, and that is we have been rescued. If we cannot come to the point that we realize I'm in need of rescue, you will never truly know Jesus Christ. The only people who know Jesus Christ are those who know they needed a rescuer. Now, for some of us, the problem with worship is not a problem with style. It's not a problem with activity. The problem with worship is a problem with pride. Because whenever we come to worship, our expectation is, What will I get out of this? How will I be fed? How will I be edified? How will I feel when I leave? And the central message of worship is we are broken people in need of a Savior, and He rescued us. And so when we begin the question of, really, what is worship? It is simply giving praise and honor and glory to the one who has saved us. That is what worship is. Now, I have been in worship services, just so I I don't take this super spiritual bend. I have been in worship services where I leave ready to conquer the world. I have been in worship services where I leave thinking, maybe we should have just done something else, right, this morning. I'm sure you all have never felt that way, but I have. I know that worship can have different effects on us. But I can tell you, after enough experiences like this, I have found that what matters most to me in worship is when I have had a genuine expression and connection with God. Not what the music was. Because there are times when songs like Crowder's Lift Your Head Weary Center gets me going. I mean, whenever I need to run on the treadmill, not very far, but whenever I do need to run on the treadmill, that's the kind of music I want on, right? It gets my heart beating, it gets my my blood pumping, it gives me motivation and I'm ready to go. And yet, if we throw Jesus paid it all and I'm trying to eke out that last mile, I'm thinking, I'm never going to make it. But yet, if I've had the kind of week that says, "I, I don't know if I can go through another week like this. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I feel like I have failed in everything that I have done 
I, I look at what I believe God has called me to this week, and I just have let him down. And in those moments when we sing, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe, it just changes me. Because I realize in that moment that the one that I am singing to is the one that is worthy and he has loved me and he has graciously given his son that I didn't have to do it perfectly this week to know him. Worship is so crucial because it recognizes that above anything else we have in our lives, he is most important. And this is the central problem that you and I deal with. If you'll remember when we talked about the emergence of sin, what was the original sin? You will be what? Do you remember? You will be like God. Every one of us is born believing that we are our own God, the center of our own world. If you don't think your children, who are the cutest thing in the world, don't believe that, when they don't get what they want, what do they do? They get your attention, right? They start crying, And that brings you in. And then they sucker you in with a cute smile and a little bit of cooing. And before you know it, you've forgotten that they're crying and you're just, they've gotten what they want. Oh, you're just so cute and precious. And then they grow old and, you know. Anyways, I'm just talking about my family, I guess. But no, my kids are still cute and precious most of the time. Why is worship important? Because it's when we give God the glory. It's when we break through that natural tendency to say, God, I I want the glory. And so when we come expecting to get something for ourselves, basically what we're saying to him is, today, you are not worthy of worship. Today, I am. And so what will I get to edify me? So that's why worship is important. It gives to him what is due him. What is worship? I will tell you, and this is something I have struggled with throughout my life as a Christian. There are true ways of worship, and there are ways that just don't matter. Now, my goal is not to give you which are true and which don't matter, because that would say that God expects us to do one certain thing, one certain way. And God's desire has always been for our hearts, not for our behaviors. Our behaviors follow our hearts, but we can very easily modify our behavior with our heart never changing. Matthew 15, verses 8 through 9, Jesus is speaking, and this cuts to the core sometimes of my own heart when I have come with the wrong motive. It says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is a tough verse. It's a tough verse that we don't want to talk about when we talk about worship. Worship should feel good. It should be exciting. It should be all the positive things. And yet Jesus himself said there are a lot of people There are a lot of people, and I don't want you to mishear me on this. There there are a lot of people that they are involved in worshipful activities, but yet their heart is not in it to worship. And when Jesus looks at you, I appreciate David saying that. He, He may not be the best voice in the room. I'll tell him he's not the only one. Although I don't know how he sings or not. Maybe we should get him up here and we should find out ourselves. 
right? No. <laughs> he sings pretty good. Leslie says you sing pretty good. Let's line him up if we can get him on that last song up here on the mic. It's not about how well you sing. It's not even about how many times you come to worship. It's not about what you wear. It's not about whether you sang all the words the right way or in tune or when it needs to be sung. But when Jesus looks at those people that were worshiping in, or in worshipful activities, he recognized that in their hearts was not a moment for them in which they recognized the beauty and value of who God was. And so it is very possible that you and I can spend a lifetime in worship services, and yet we never truly worship. On one hand, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because it means that he's looking at my heart, and sometimes my actual expression is not all that great. But it also scares me. Because I don't want to walk in the room believing I am doing this thing that is so important and yet my heart is bent on myself instead of him. What is worship? I want to share with you a story from John chapter 4. It's a story that you're probably familiar with, many of you. And what I want you to listen for as we go through this story is I want you to listen for the areas that talks about worship and value. Worship is simply this. It is that time in which we demonstrate ultimate worth and value, the thing that we prize the most in life. Perhaps it's a good moment for you throughout this sermon to think about your own lives. What do I value and prize the most? What am I most afraid to lose and give up? Where do I spend my most amount of time and the most amount of my resources? Where is my mind focused Most of the time, that is where you prize above all else. So I want you to listen for for worth, for value, for what is prized above all things. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Because they did not mix. They had different lineages, and they were not a group of people that wanted to have anything to do with each other. And some of your Bibles say this next portion, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, remember the central message of the body. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now, what we know right off the bat is that she does not know who this is she's talking to. She does not realize that this Jew is not just another Jew who's thirsty, but instead she is looking at the Messiah. She is looking at the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and all that she could experience by knowing him, she completely misses that. And what we know through our study of the New Testament, what we know through our study of salvation, is that it is only with the Holy Spirit that we can truly know who he is. 
And the reality is, is that without truth and the Holy Spirit, no one, no one, not me and not you, no one understands and truly values Jesus. It is only through knowing the truth and through the Holy Spirit. So if we get excited about how much we worship, and I, I, I've known a few people through my life who just believe they were better worshipers than, than other people. And it's kind of fun to watch them, and it's kind of frustrating at the same time. They just believe they get God. They just believe they get God better than anybody else. And so they kind of lord it over you. Well, I have a higher opinion of God than you do. I've literally had people sit across the table from me and tell me that. I really get God better than you. I had one guy, he actually, he actually we were having lunch together, and he, ha- he put a big bottle of ketchup next to a salt shaker. He said, this is my view of the value of God, the ketchup bottle. And I believe this is your view of the value of God, the salt shaker. So I picked up the ketchup bottle and squirted it all over him right there in the retina. I I really didn't, but I really wanted to. It was only the Holy Spirit that kept me from doing it. But I've literally had people say that to me as if I so truly understand the value of Jesus. And yet their behavior and their actions showed otherwise. It is only when we understand the truth. That is why it is so crucial that we do share the gospel with others. And it is only through the Holy Spirit why it is so crucial that we also recognize the supernatural necessity of God working in this process. That you can value Jesus. Which means if you are sitting here worshiping, you have had the benefit of knowing the truth and experiencing the Holy Spirit. For this lady, this Samaritan woman, she had neither of these. She didn't know the truth, and she did not have the Holy Spirit showing her these things. And so it was easy for her to be in his presence and completely miss him, which is why it is so easy to come into a worship service, and one person can be in the presence of Christ, and one person can just not get it. Both in the same room. It is through the truth and the Holy Spirit that we can understand the value of Jesus. Let's go on to verse 12. It says, are you greater? She's talking back to Jesus. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his, his sons and his livestock. Now, the well that Jacob built was a significant event in the history of the Hebrews. If you want to go back and read through Genesis, you can read through. Really, it's a great story of, the, of this well. And the well for us is just a well. It's like, I don't even, a well's really not all that great. I mean, if you haven't got tap, a well's kind of a pain, you know. Does anybody here live on well water? We, we've got family do, and it's like, gosh, the pump's not working, or, you know, the water level's low, and the well's not producing the way it should. But at this time, this was life. If you didn't have a well, you didn't have life. That is why Jacob was known very much for the well. Because he had provided life for generations after him by the, by the finding and the utilizing of this well. And so for her, as she looks at Jesus and Jesus is talking about life that comes from water, she's saying, hey, water comes from the well. The well came from Jacob. Are you saying that you're as good as him? I mean, I've got water. We've had water for generations. Jacob gave us this. Who are you? She still didn't get it. 
And goes on in verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. She had received truth. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, until we understand how valuable Jesus is, for her, she was looking for water that would, she would be able to drink and not be thirsty. She still didn't grasp exactly what he was saying. But this guy says he can give me water and I won't be thirsty anymore. Okay, fine, give it to me. This is one of the problems with worship. It's because often we don't go to Jesus with the intention of telling him how wonderful he is, that we are prizing him above all things, but instead we go to him expecting him to do something for us. I will worship you when you do something for me. In fact, this was a common theme Jesus found after he began to perform miracles and people would come to him and, hey, do something, do another trick. To the point that he finally said, how many do I have to do for you to get the message that I'm trying to share with you? And there became a time when he stopped performing the miracles because they didn't care that it demonstrated he was the Son of God. What they cared about was how entertaining they were or someone that was in need, all of a sudden their need was met. But they didn't get the deeper message of who he was. When it comes to worship, Until we understand how valuable Jesus is, we will seek to use him for our own purposes rather than giving up everything that we have to have him. That is what she was doing. How can I use what this man is saying he can do for me? Verse 16, he goes on and Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) How do you know that? Is basically what she's saying. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. If you are a prophet in the Old Testament, you are a big deal. If you claim to be a prophet, a foreteller, someone who is able to tell what will become, It is different from the gift of prophecy that we've talked about so far in this series, which is the desire to tell forth what is true. But in this type of prophecy, that foretelling of the future, it was very easy to determine how good you were, right? How would you determine whether someone was really telling the future? Did it come true or not? Now, if you said this is going to happen in 3,000 years, you might be safe. But for most, they would come and they would be charlatans trying to get people to follow them or give them stuff. And it was very easy to determine very early as what you are you saying is true. She didn't know Jesus. How could Jesus possibly know her life? And yet he knows these details. She's been with five different husbands and right now she's having an affair with her current husband. I'm sure she's worked hard to keep that a secret. And yet Jesus, because he looks at our hearts, is able to say deeper into her need, this is the truth of where you are. And for her, it was significant. A light went on. This guy is not just some Jew. 
this guy's talking about. I need to listen a little deeper. And this is when she begins to talk about worship because this is where she was struggling in her life. Certainly there were some ethical, moral issues that she was struggling with. But she had those because she misunderstood what was most valuable in life. It was a worship issue, which for most of us, we find ourselves trapped and in battle because of worship issues. We think they're just choices or bad choices or, or we were tempted. But the truth is we often walk into those bad choices because we worshiped the wrong thing. The woman said to him again, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say, because he's a Jew, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, we hear this again, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And in this conversation, what Jesus does for her, and if you and I could have a similar conversation, what he would do for us is he penetrated the object of her worship. He penetrated it. He went right to the core. What was her object of worship? We can gather from the lifestyle she's living, which would make her an outcast among her people, that she was seeking after acceptance, validation, She wanted to be attractive to somebody. We could go so far as to say she was addicted, perhaps, to sexuality. And she found her value and her worth and her ability to please a man or to have a man. Now, you may not have gone to those efforts, but you can very easily put that type of an object of worship on someone other than Jesus. Someone that you are dating someone that you want to be with. It can be a husband. It can be a wife. They can be everything for you. For her, she never got fulfillment in where she was seeking it. And so she kept looking. And what Jesus is saying is your fulfillment, your all-satisfying wholeness comes in me, not in seeking these other things. I don't know what all of our objects of worship are. Sometimes our objects are ourselves. That's our baseline. And most every object of worship that we have other than Jesus falls back to that somehow. Oftentimes, our object of worship is pride. Oftentimes, our object of worship is whatever we are most seeking, a lifestyle, a job, recognition. Sometimes we want sympathy. We want people to look at us and recognize we have, had such, we have such a bad time. And so when we are constantly telling people all the bad things that are going on in our lives, what we are worshiping is validation. He penetrates the objects that we worship. And he says there is only one that is worthy of worship. And so if you and I are going to truly worship, it has to be knowing Jesus. And when we know him, He can be the only object of worship in our lives. 
So as we go through this, I want to share with you just a few things. One, there is a stark difference between true worshipers and false worshipers. We've seen Jesus say that now twice. There's a real difference. True worshipers recognize the true object of worship. And false worshipers are simply trying to get something for themselves out of it. There's a stark difference. True worship must understand what is truly worthy to be worshipped. I've worshipped different things over my life. And it is only when I worship Jesus that I find fulfillment, wholeness, joy. It's the only time that I can come before Him and feel true connection with Him because I recognize who He is and He is the most valuable thing in all of existence. We have to recognize what is true. And what happens when we focus our lives on things that are unworthy to be worshipped, they always lead to anger, frustration, and futility. I saw a story this week, maybe some of you saw it. It came out of Colorado. Let me just read it to you. A man has some worship issues. It says, Police in western Colorado say a man battered somebody else's pickup with a baseball bat, and then left a note acknowledging he had anger issues. Police say the note read, Sorry, anger issues. Misspelled. Spelled it S-O-R-R-Y-Y-A-N-G-E-R-I-S-U-S-E-S-H. Sorry, anger issue-ish. The Glenwood Springs Post Independent reports the attack occurred in January near Carbondale. The pickup's owner found the damage and the note when he returned from snowmobiling. Two witnesses told police another snowmobiler apparently thought the pickup had parked too close to his vehicle. The witnesses say they heard whacking sounds and one saw the other snowmobiler swinging a bat. They told police they insisted he leave a note, which is why he left that note. They say he was then able to leave his parking spot with no problem. Police say they arrested a 50-year-old man on a criminal mischief charge. Now, what do you think was his issue with wanting to beat up a pickup truck after going snowmobiling because it was too close to his truck. Where does that anger come from? See, a lot of us have anger from a lot of different sources. The reality is, is he went out for a perfect day thinking that everyone should respect what he expected for the day, and it didn't work out right, and he got angry. And he, because he's been angry before, decides it's better to just go ahead and act it out and be done with it. So he beats up a truck and he ends up getting arrested. No grace, no mercy, no understanding. The most important thing is my pleasure and my happiness and what I think should be happening right now at this moment. That was an extreme example. I doubt this happens very often, but it's an extreme example. But yet it still illustrates the thing that happens every single time we have as an object of worship something other than Jesus. We get angry. We get frustrated. I am putting you on the pedestal of utmost value and you are constantly disappointing me. And so we get frustrated. Whenever we don't truly see what the best object of worship is, then that's where we end up. And that's why so many people are angry today. They're worshiping something that is not able to maintain that place. There's only one object of worship that can maintain that, and that is Jesus himself. When we understand true worship, 
you are going to worship in three specific ways. And this is what I want to leave you with practically today. Whenever you truly understand worship, you're going to worship in three specific ways. So if you're, apparently you version's up again. I don't know why it's not showing earlier, but it's up again if you want to follow along through there. If you want to write down notes, there are three ways. I'm going to, these are from Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So there are three basic ways that we are to worship based on this this practice. Number one is the fruit of the lips. It is with our mouths. It is with our words. It is with our music, our song. It is what we say and what we proclaim to be good and to be true. Our mouths are so crucial as a place that we worship. I find it interesting. There's so many articles online now, on Facebook at least, where you can talk about what worship is and what worship isn't. Why millennials worship or choose not to worship. How men worship. How women worship. But at the bottom, the bottom line for all of that worship is we have a responsibility to use our mouths to worship Him. When we sing, we should sing fully. When we talk, we should talk with worship and adoration on our lips. What you say and the words that you use, the things that you talk about when you're with people, matter. We should always worship with our lips. The second thing we, we read Verse 16, do not neglect to do good. So doing good means that worship is not just what we do here. It's not just a feeling. It's not just raising our hands when we like the music. But instead, there's action involved with worship. Because once we have found the thing that is of utmost value, it moves us to action. So doing good is worship. A third thing that we read out of verse 16 is to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Pleasing sacrifices that share what we have. Have you ever thought about that as worship? Someone's having a bad day, but you're busy. But you sacrifice to take the time to minister to them. That's worship. When you're driving down the street and someone's holding a cardboard sign and you give them something to eat. Did you know that's worship? Whenever you're sitting down and there's a need that a child has and you sit down and you help them, that is worship. You're sharing with that which you have. So there are three primary ways. Some of these we'll do in worship services, some we won't. Some of these, so these are some of the things that we can readily do with these ways of worship. Number one, which we've already done today, is we can worship through song can worship through song. Music has always, always been a crucial moment for those who know God to celebrate Him. We can go back as far as you want to go, and song has been part of the ways that people who know God have heralded His worth and His value over and over and over again. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. 
Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with string and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, here's what I know. Some of you do not like to sing. I don't know why you don't like to sing, but you don't like to sing. I've heard over and over and over again, men just don't sing. They don't sing anymore. I'm going to tell you that is a worship problem. Because when we worship, we worship with our mouth. Do you know why most men don't, work, don't sing? It's because they don't want other people to hear them sing. I struggle with that. If I'm standing next to somebody who's really good at singing, I don't sing very loud. If I'm standing by myself, I'll sing really loud because I don't think anybody can hear me. You think, well, it's just not masculine. Somehow modern worship has emasculated men. And the truth is one of the most masculine men in all of Scripture is David. I mean, how many of us have, have literally gone out and killed wild beasts with our hands? Anybody? Some of you might have? Okay. So somehow, I haven't. He could kill wild beasts with his hands. Led people into battle. He's an incredible, incredible warrior. And yet when he was praising and worshiping, he was said to have almost embarrassed himself. He was so loud and boisterous in his praise and worship of God. That's part of us praising him with his lips. Getting away from what our insecurities are and saying, you are worthy. And so we worship through song. Another thing we do with our lips is we worship through testimony. Let me just ask you, and I'm asking for you to say something, if you feel so motivated. If I were to ask you, who is God to you, what would you say? It can be a word or a phrase. Who is God to you? Father? Redemption? Provider? Hope? The one who knows what he's doing, praise the Lord, right? Absolutely. What else? Who is God to you? Creator? Dad? See, when we give testimony of who he is to us, that is worship. How about this? Maybe a little easier. What has God done for you? Throw some out. What? Family, sent a son, release from addiction, healer, I heard another one, salvation, love, see testimony, it's where we voice, it's where we take a moment to coherently think through what has he done for me. And when we voice it, it takes time for us to take our feeling and our thoughts and to formulate them in a way that we can speak in rational sentences. So when we think about what God has done for you, that's testimony. That is praising Him with our lips. Here's, an, here's another one. If you could say one thing to God that was standing right in front of you, what would it be? Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. Only you know. And that's the truth. 
thanks for not giving up on me. Imagine Jesus is standing right there with you and you can say something to him. Just like Jesus is with a woman in from at the well. He's literally right there in front of you. What would you say to him? Anybody else? Fall on our face? I'm not worthy? Which is a common response when you know who he is. See, when you fashion your thoughts and your experiences in a way that you can voice who God is to you, that is praising Him with your lips. See, that's one way of worship. Some of you have come through streams of worship in which that's the only way of worship. And when we understand that the praise of our lips is the only way of worship, That's when we come to worship services, we sing, we leave, we don't think about God again until the next time we come to sing. But there is so much more to worship than just simply singing and giving testimony. There's also worship through prayer. Do we spend time truly praying? You know, you could go home today, you could do it in the car on the way home, and you could just voice who God is to you. You could just voice what you're thankful for for him. You could just voice how meaningful he is for you, his value within your life. You can voice that, and that is worship. And you may not, if you're going to the grocery store, you may not want to do that going to the grocery store. But you can do that. Worship through prayer. Worship through giving. One of the reasons that we give is so we can pay the bills, let's be honest. But giving is an act of worship because we say what God has instructed me to do is more valuable than what I want to do. And so I give. There is such true value in giving so far beyond meeting the basic needs of whoever you're giving to that says my heart is changed because of Jesus. And so I give. Doing good. And sharing with others is what I'm just going to call worship in everyday life. It's worship that happens before you come to church. It's worship that happens after church. It's worship that happens when you wake up, when you go to bed. It's worship that happens on Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday morning. It's worship on Friday night. It's worship when you're driving from one place to the next. It's worship when you're in the gym. It's worship when you're with your family. Worship in everyday life. I want to read Hebrews 13 through 15 through 16 again. It says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, And to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to him. Do you realize that when you see someone and you share the gospel, it is worship? Because you are sharing with them what is most valuable to you. When someone comes to you for counsel, where do you go first? Probably what is of most value to you. If you've experienced a similar situation and you've gone through that and somehow come out on the other end, you're probably going to share 
whatever helped you get through it because that's of ultimate value to you. Evangelism is worship. The choices we make is worship. Where we spend our time, where we spend our money, what shows we watch, how much time we watch. Where we go on Saturdays. Worship is in the choices we make. Your worship is in your quiet time. And I find fewer and fewer people have quiet times today. But worship is taking time out of your day to say, it is of most value to spend time with the one who I prize among all others. Worship is in our quiet times. And for some of you, I know that you will never stand up and you will never sing on stage. You are not going to stand up and give a testimony. You're not going to do some of the most outward signs that, of worship that other people can recognize, but you are constantly trying to help and take care of others. You are constantly giving of what you have to meet the needs of others. And I want you to know that is worship. As the body, this has to be what is, where, what is our central activity, has to be worship. If we do a car meet, that has to flow out of worship. If we have an Easter egg hunt, it has to flow out of worship. If we have small groups, that has to flow out of worship. Worship giving worth and value to the one who is most precious to us. Everything has to come through a heart of worship because we recognize what he's given us. I want to close with this, and then we are going to worship in song, and we're going to worship through giving together. When the body understands who Jesus truly is, it will change the way we worship. I've got some friends, and they are, and I love to worship in their vicinity. Let me word it that way, because, man, they are so excited. I mean, they're jumping up and down, they're, they're, they're yelling and screaming, and they're singing, and I mean, I'm just, it's one of those where you just always want to check, and you want to make sure they're not going to club you in the head in the middle of the you know, song they're excited about. And I know people who worship fully, and they don't move a muscle. They just stand rigidly. Because God is looking at our hearts. It's not about us having a central style of worship. It's about us having a central heart of worship. And through that, God will move in us. God will change us. And it will change the way we experience Him every day. I know some of you are having a difficult time right now. Some of you are struggling. And worship is probably not what's really on your radar. It is this struggle. Struggle may be someone you love. It may be something going on at work. And worship has a tendency to be that kind of last thing that we think about when everything's going well. Then we kind of get into what we want to do about worship. But I want to encourage you that you start with worship instead. If you're struggling and you go and you are continually giving the greatest joy and praise to God, you will be amazed at the discernment He gives you dealing with whatever situation you're in. When you truly worship, you will be amazed at what you hear from Him because Christians today have forgotten they can hear from God themselves. You'll be amazed at what you hear from Him. 
whenever you're struggling with a decision and you're not sure what to do, it's amazing when you ascribe all value and treasure to him that this decision all of a sudden wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was. Because I already have the thing that is of ultimate value. Whenever we're feeling insecure and insignificant, like we're not validated, our, our self-esteem is at an all-time low, and we feel like that we just don't matter in the world, moment of worship to ascribe Him all praise and glory, and He tells us who we are to Him. We begin to worship for His grace. We begin to recognize the sinfulness in our lives, and we worship Him because He's forgiven us. We begin to recognize all our brokenness and our faults. And we see how God is restoring, healing us because we are ascribing all value to the one who is of ultimate value. As we close out our service in this next song, perhaps the words of this song are going to be exactly what you need and perhaps they aren't. Whatever they are, worship Him fully, recognizing who He is. It will change us as a church. And it will change you and your walk with Him. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank You that You are worthy to be praised. I thank You that even though there are so many times that I worship something else, that You graciously allow me to come back to You. Father, I thank You for the incredible mercy that we have through Jesus. I thank You that we can live this life knowing that even if we never have the life we always thought we would, even if we'll never have the relationships we always thought we would, even if we never go to the places we always thought we would go. Father, I I pray that you will help us to worship. And I thank you that you meet us in that moment. Father, I thank you that you have paid the debt for all of our sins. I thank you that in those moments when we're ready to give up and we just don't know how to keep going, that your spirit lifts us and encourages us, moves us. Father, I thank you that even if I make so many mistakes in a week, I can always come back and you are ready to accept me. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the truth that has been shared with us so that we can know you. Father, thank you. Thank you that no matter how far we have to come in life, you are there with us. So Father, I pray that in this this next song, the words that come from our lips would not just be words to a song. It would not just be trying to string together the right sound, but instead it would be a, a prayer of praise to you for how wonderful you are. Father, I pray that when we stumble and when we fall, that we will remember what is of most value, of greatest prize, so that no matter how far we fall, we can know we still have you. We thank you for your love and grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.